Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank our latest Patreon supporter, Cheryl, supporting us at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Cheryl. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers, the original air date, April the 8th, 1951. And the title is Bad Blood. The National Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles, and 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. Now, from the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, Bad Blood. It is 7 p.m. September 14, 1950. In an isolated house trailer in the fields on the outskirts of Cheney, Texas, Joe Prager, an aircraft worker, is packing a suitcase. There is a knock on the trailer door. Just a second. Howdy, Joe. Oh, howdy, Russ. Ain't you going to ask me in? Yeah, sure. Come on in. See you packing already. That's right. What's on your mind, Russ? Well, Joe, I figured... Two weeks is long enough for old friends to be mad at each other. I come to ask you to shake hands. <laughs> you know, now that you're here, I can't figure just what we've been mad about. Ain't anybody I'd rather shake hands with than you, Russ. You're my boy. But we ain't never gonna talk politics again. Oh, that's the deal. <laughs> I didn't want you to leave feeling sore at me. Why are you going, anyhow? Why are you pulling out your job, Solid? You're needed here. Well, I didn't want anybody to know about it yet, but... Looks like I'm needed someplace else, too. Huh? Here, read this. Well, going back in the Army, huh? I didn't know you stayed on a reserve list. I'm on it, all right. You talked to him about this out at the plant, after all. You're married now, you got a kid, you're in essential work. Maybe you could get out of it. I thought about it, Russ, but... Well, I don't want to get out of it. I got kind of a funny feeling about it, a 
feeling I've had ever since the kid was born. Like, well, maybe if I go again now, maybe I can help so he'll never have to go when he grows up. Yeah, I can't argue against that. Not with two boys of my own, one of them pushing 17. Ella and me are plenty worried about him with this Korea thing. Ah, oh, don't let it get you down, Russ. Boy, I'll be all right. <laughs> Say, uh, I was just about to fix me some grub. How about joining me? Oh, thanks, but Ella's expecting me home. Uh, say, where's Marge and the baby, anyhow? Oh, she drove the kid up to her mother's today. I got a week more before I report, and uh. well, we sort of figured we'd go away someplace together, just the two of us, you know, till I have to leave. Yeah, well, when you pulling out of here? Tomorrow, when Marge comes back. Ella would like to see you and Marge before you go. She's been beefing at me ever since you and me fell out. Yeah, Marge's been bulldogging me about it, Well, too. can't you come and have supper with us tomorrow before you go? How about that? That's the deal. Swell. Ella would be tickled. Well, guess I better be getting home the old pay envelope. You need any help with anything? I mean, we got a few dollars for... No, pay. no, thanks, Russ. We'll get by. Well, good luck to you, fella. We'll see you tomorrow, hmm? Sure thing, Russ. Say, if they had a draft, somebody, why couldn't they take that brother-in-law of yours? <laughs> Orville? That'd be giving aid and comfort to the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> I know Orville ain't giving any aid and comfort to his department out the plant. We wasn't short-handed. He wouldn't last ten minutes. Well, good night, Joe. Good night, Russ. Just a second. Did you forget something? Oh, it's you, Orville. Yeah, it's me. Russ was just here. I thought it was him coming back. I know he was here. Been waiting out back long enough, waiting for him to leave. You could have come in. Russ don't buy it. He doesn't like me. Reckon that's your fault, Orville. Oh, sure. Everything's my fault. How come you're sticking up for him? Thought you and him wasn't talking. We are now, and I don't think it's any of your business. What do you want, Orville? Joe, I... Need some help. I got my check cashed, and I guess I didn't notice it till I was almost home. I got a hole in my pocket. I lost my pay. Do I look like a half-wit to you? Well, I only want... The last time you came to me with that story, you said your pocket was picked. And the time before that, you said you got stuck with a loan you signed for somebody. That's right, Joe. Honest. Stop using the word honest, Orville. Doesn't sound right coming from you. Your money's gone. You lost it in the pay night crap game at Holland. I haven't been near Holland's in weeks. Oh, Joe, you gotta help me. My wife will buck like a maverick under a branding iron if I don't bring some money home. You and sis got some side money. I know you have. I ain't denying that, but this is one time you ain't dipping your hand into it. Yeah, take a look at this paper. Go ahead, read it. <laughs> Drafted, huh? Gonna play soldier again and leave my sister with a kid to take care of. She and the kid will be taken care of, Orvie. I'll see to that. You never had to give us anything and you never will. Joe, I need money. And I ain't leaving here without it. There's nothing here for you, Orvin. Better try someplace else. I said I wasn't leaving without that money. Well, reckon you'll be here a long time then, Orvin. You have to excuse me. I'm going to fix my supper. I ain't going to ask you again, Joe. Glad to hear. Just going to keep ignoring me, huh? Like I wasn't even here. That's right. Maybe I can make you pay a little attention with this. <laughs> Orvin! Put that down. No. I'm going to help you dish out your supper like this. The body of Joe Prager was discovered when his wife returned to their trailer home early the following day. 
Sheriff Vern Lamont immediately called for the help of a Texas ranger. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned. He joined the sheriff at the scene of the crime shortly after noon. I've kept the whole field blocked off, Jace. Nobody's been near the place except Prager's wife and me and the deputies. Good. Where's the wife? Sitting over there in her car. Tried to get her to go into town to the hotel, but she won't. She's in, in kind of a daze. Shock. That's natural. You want to talk to her? Yeah, it wouldn't help when she's like that. Maybe by the time we've had a look around, she'll break down and cry it out, and then we may be able to get something. Let's have a look inside the trailer. Right. There's the body. And there's a murder weapon. Wrought iron frying pan. We'll be able to pull any prints off that. Metal's too coarse. That's why I just let it lay there. Medical examiner estimate the time of death? He figured it was between 6 and 8 o'clock last night. Hmm. Suitcase on the bed, half-packed. Prager trying to run away from something? No, I don't think so. Letter on the table here explains it. It was in the Army Reserve. Called back to duty. I see. Where was he working here? Out of the aircraft plant, other side of town. Spot welder. How come his wife didn't report this until this morning? Well, she was away for the night. They got a baby? Baby oil and nipple jar on the dresser there. Yeah, that's why the wife was away. She took the kid to her mother's up in Abilene. Come back this morning. You check on that? First thing. Got a list of eating places. She stopped at both ways, and she gassed up at a mobile station in Abilene last night after she got there. Well, spots her away from here, all right. Let's check around outside. All right. Will it be okay for the medical examiner to move the body now? Yeah, I think so. How come they parked their trailer out here instead of using one of the parks near town? Save money, I guess. Rents are high with the plant working full blast. Mm. Gasoline lamp in the trailer for light, but what'd they do for water? Well, there's a well out back. Used to be a house here some time ago, but it was moved. They had everything they needed to get by. I see. Want to walk out to the road where our cars are? I can send one of the boys into the funeral home to arrange a pickup. All right. Wait a minute, Sheriff. Hmm? Watch your feet. What's the matter? These car tracks up the road to the trailer. Prager's own car, I reckon. Same tracks all over the road from coming and going. Uh, different tire pattern in a couple of the soft spots, though. Look here. Yeah. Overlaps most of the older tracks, but Prager's car tracks go over the strange tread once. Right here. Yeah, I see what you mean. Another car must have driven in here after Ms. Prager left yesterday. And that spot is where she drove over the tracks when she came back this morning. It's the way I measure it. And we can pull a cast off that tread. May help us run down the car. Hey... One of your deputies coming up the road now. That isn't one of my boys. Why'd they let him in? I don't know. Hey, you! Yeah? How'd you get in here? I come to help my sister. Who is your sister? Marge, Prager's wife. He was my brother-in-law. That's why the deputies let me through. All right. Your sister's sitting in the car back there. Reckon she does need somebody with her at that. Thanks. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah, Ranger? Walk along the edge of the road. Stay out of the tire tracks. Why? Because we're asking you to. Isn't that good enough? Well, I only ask you for a reason, that's all. What's your name? Orville James. You work with your brother-in-law? Well, yeah, sure. Out at the plant. Not in the same department, though. How'd you know your brother-in-law had been killed? I didn't know. Until I saw your deputies down by the road and they told me. Isn't the aircraft plant working today? Yeah, sure it is. It's on the other side of town. What brought you out here now? I 
got a lift out during lunch to see my sister. That'd just about take your whole lunch hour. And more if you didn't catch a ride back right away. You make a habit of hitchhiking out here on your lunch hour? No, of course I don't. And why'd you do it today? What are you asking me all this for? You trying to pin something on me? Reckon that's going to depend on how you answer. Come on, talk up. Well, I... I just... Well, I wanted to ask her about my mother. I knew that she'd been up home, see, and I wanted to find out how my mother was. I see. Your mother been sick? Yeah. No, no, she, she's been all right, I reckon. And why the rush to get out here this afternoon? Why not tonight, after work? Because I wanted to come, that's all. Anything else you want to know? Yes, when did you see your brother-in-law last? I don't know, three, maybe four days ago. Not yesterday? No. Not even at work? It's a big plant, Ranger. Joe and me didn't even work in the same building. What time did you quit yesterday? Five o'clock. Then you weren't working between, say, six and eight o'clock last night? No. Then where were you at that time? And who was with you? Well, I, I cashed my check at Holland's and, and then... And then what? Did you come out here? Yeah. What? I said yes, yes, I come out here. I'd have told you before if you hadn't started to question me so funny. Why'd you say you hadn't seen Prager in three or four days if you saw him last night? I didn't see him last night. Listen, you just told us you I came told out you I'd come out here, but I didn't see Joe. I changed my mind about going in because there was a car parked here. Joe had company. Well, that fits in, Jace. Those car tracks. Yeah, but it still doesn't tell us why Orville didn't go in. I'll tell you why if you let me. I recognized the car. It belongs to Russ Newcomb. And I didn't want to go in while he was there because I didn't want to get mixed up in any argument. Who's Russ Newcomb? And why should there be an argument? Russ works out at the plant, too. Him and Joe have been friends, but they fell out a couple of weeks ago. Hadn't been talking. Then why would Newcomb be visiting here? Why don't you ask Newcomb that? It took a long time for you to suggest that, Orville, considering that Prager's dead and you knew that there'd been bad blood between him and the man you say was here last night. I don't like to throw suspicion on a man for murder, Ranger. But you're mighty quick suspecting me. A man ain't likely to kill his brother-in-law. Newcomb had the reason, not me. Now, you're going to let me go to my sister, ain't you? Jace? All right, Orville. Go ahead. Yeah. Looks like this thing is cracking easy, Jace. It sure does. You better get out to the aircraft plant. Yeah. We got enough to pick up Newcomb, all right? We got more than that. That tire track on the road matches Newcomb's car. We got enough on Newcomb to send him to Huntsville. You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, Bad Blood. An authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. We drove out to the aircraft plant. News of Prager's death hadn't reached the place yet. We were directed to Russ Newcomb's section leader, and he pointed Newcomb out to us. He was on a welding job. Hey! Hey, you up there! Newcomb! Yeah! Knock off a minute and come down from that wing, will ya? Be right there! What can I do for you? Go into the office where we can talk. Sure, I'd be glad to. Yeah, Sheriff, what's up? You find the woman who owned that purse? Purse? What purse? What are you talking about? 
purse I turned in your office about two months ago. Money in it, don't you remember? Oh, that was on a Sunday. Guess I look different in a work outfit. Oh, oh, yeah. What's this about, Sheriff? I thought he looked familiar. Turned in a woman's purse he found in the streets a couple of months back. No identification in it, and the owners never claimed it. Oh? The way you're talking, Sheriff, I reckon it isn't a purse you want to see me about. No, it isn't. You know Joe Prager? No, him. Why, Joe's one of my best friends. When did you see him last? Only last night, out to his place. Why, what's the matter? Joe in some kind of trouble? You say he was a good friend. Other people say you weren't on speaking terms for the last couple of weeks. We weren't until last night. We, well, we got in a dumb political argument one day during lunch here. Both got hotter than we should have. But you patched it up last night. Yeah, when word got around that Joe was quitting, going away, well, I went out and buried the hatchet. You sure you mean a hatchet, not a frying pan? Look, you fellas asking me something, but you ain't telling me nothing. You talked politics again with Prager last night? No, no, we just shook hands, and I asked him to bring his wife over for supper tonight, and then I left, that's all. Prager still alive when you left? Well, what do you mean he was... still alive? You telling me Joe Prager's dead? He was beaten to death last night with an iron frying pan. Beaten to death? Joe? You see anybody else at the trailer? No, no, no. We were alone, just the two of us. Newcomb, the law requires me to warn you that anything you say from here on can be used against you. Used against me for what? You're talking like I'm under arrest. You are under arrest for the murder of Joe Prager. We took Newcomb back to Cheney and locked him up. Meanwhile, Prager's body had been brought into the funeral home. I went over to see Mrs. Prager to see if she could give further verification of a quarrel between her husband and the man under arrest. Yeah. Joe told me that had some kind of an argument. But I didn't think it would ever be as bad as this. I didn't think Russ would kill him. Why don't you leave her alone, Ranger? I'd already told you there was bad blood. Now maybe you'll believe me. Other witnesses aren't going to hurt anything, Orville. I'm all right, Orville. He's got to find out everything he wants to know. What else do they need to know? If you ask me, they've got enough of a case right now. If we ask you. But so far, nobody has. And until somebody does, how about keeping quiet? All right. You're the law. Go ahead and make them miserable. I'm going over to Holland, sis. I'll be there if you want me. I'm sorry to keep after you like this, Mrs. Prager. Did your husband ever have any trouble with anybody besides Newcomb? No. Was he in fear of anybody, worried about anything? No. He was worried at first when the army letter came. But when we decided it was right for him to go, he didn't worry anymore. Just figured out things so me and the baby could get along. We we even had a little money saved. We were going away together for a week. Just Joe and me. To the place we went on our honeymoon. We were going to have so much fun. Now I'll have to use that money to bury him. I'm sorry, ma'am. Why did Russ do a thing like this to Joe? Why? Why? I don't know, ma'am. I've never been able to figure out why men do a lot of things they do to each other. I went back to the sheriff's office. It looked like the case against Newcomb was just about closed, but it opened again, 
opened wide when the sheriff showed me the personal effects that had been removed from Prager's body. Look at this, Jace. Bank book, isn't it? Yep. Prager's. It was in his shirt pocket. Take a look at that last line. Drew out every dime he had yesterday afternoon. Mrs. Prager told me they had some savings. They were going to use it to go away. Reckon that's why he drew it out. Yesterday was payday at the plant, too, Jace. So Prager should have had this amount he withdrew, $312 plus his pay. Wasn't there any money on him? Less than a dollar in change. I had my deputies go out and comb that trailer. Cupboards, dishes. They didn't find a dime. Newcomb turn any money over to the jailer when you booked him? About $5, that's all. But he had time to hide that money. All we got to do is find out where he hid it. If he did hide it. What do you mean? That purse Newcomb found a couple of months ago, the one he turned into you. He mentioned that there was some money in it. That's right. A little over $100. What are you thinking? I'm thinking about motives. We've been figuring Newcomb killed Prager because he was nursing a grudge. Robbery angle changes that picture. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. Fellow who finds money and turns it in when he could keep it isn't likely to kill somebody and steal from him. Unless, of course, he was trying to cover up. He said he'd invited the Pragers to supper tonight, and they were going to come. That's right. You check on Orville's movements last night, see if he was telling the truth? Had my deputy do it. Only place to check was Holland's, and he was there all right after work. Cashed his check there, like he said, then got in a crap game with some of the boys in the washroom. He couldn't have played very long, or he wouldn't have gotten to Prager's by 7 o'clock when Newcomb was there. I don't get what you're driving at. Orville must have lost in that crap game. Game like that between fellows who work together, the winners usually stick to the end. Yeah, they get sore at a winner who quits until they've had a chance to get even. Your deputies find any sign of bloody clothing when they check Newcomb's place? Nope, but they're checking the cleaning shops now. You know where Newcomb lives? Sure. You want to go over there? Just into the neighborhood. I want to talk to Newcomb's butcher. Come on. Newcomb's butcher? What can he tell you? What Mrs. Newcomb ordered for tonight's dinner? I saw the butcher, and his answer to my question pulled Newcomb back a step away from the electric chair. I got in my car and started to drive toward the field in Prager's trailer. You look like you learned something, Jace. I did. Mrs. Newcomb ordered stew meat yesterday for tonight's supper. She called up this morning and changed the order to lamb chops. Twelve lamb chops. That mean anything to you? And changing from stew meat to lamb chops sounds like she was expecting company. When she orders lamb chops for her own family, she usually gets eight. I see. The other four chops could have been for Prager and his wife, then. I think so. And Prager was dead when she ordered them. Well, Newcomb could have told her to order them for a cover-up. Could have. But it's a little too smart. He didn't strike me as being that clever. Yeah, I'm going to go along with that. I think you're right. Well, what do you expect to find at the trailer? I don't know. I want to look around a lot more than we did before. I shouldn't have waited this long. Didn't seem to be any reason for it with the case we had against Newcomb. Well, there's a reason now. We need a new case, and I got a hunch which way it's going to point. I don't know, Jace. We've fine-combed that trailer, and there's nothing we didn't see before. And the only strange car track we found on the road was Newcomb. Hey, wait a minute, Sheriff. Somebody was sitting down here by the well. Leaned back against it and had his feet stretched out. You can see where the edges of his heels were resting on the ground. Yeah. Circle out around the back here. Let's do a little trail cutting. You figure the killer took off away from the road? If he was on foot, it'd be his best bet. If he went to the highway and walked, somebody might have seen him. 
he had blood on his clothes, he'd steer clear of town until it was late and everybody was sleeping. All right, Jace. Which way do you want me to go? Circle out that way. I'll work from this side. Okay. Hey, Jace. Yeah, Sheriff? Orville was on foot. I know he was. That's why we're looking. We found the trail just as it was getting dark. It led into open country. I got my horse charcoal from the trailer behind my car while the sheriff went to a nearby farm to borrow a mount. It was dark when he caught up to me. You still on the trail or you're cutting to pick it up? I lost it a couple of times further back, but I'm on it now. You know this country back here? Oh, I've ridden it before. We'll be coming to the Horner River soon, about a half mile farther. River angles toward town, doesn't it? Sure does. Cuts under that bridge just outside Cheney. That may be the way the killer followed to get back to town. Let's ride for the river bank and see if we can pick up tracks there. May save us time. Good idea. Dig, boy. Ah, come on. Charky. found tracks on the bank, all right. Just a few that led to the edge of the water, and that was all. We cut back and forth on both banks for hours before we picked up a sign. He'd come out of the river on rock, and we barely spotted the place where he'd marked the ground again. That's it, all right, Jace. Same heel impression. He had us fooled for a while, all right. Now, let's go. Come on, Sharky. Yeah, come on, boy. What's that up there ahead? Looks like a shack of some kind. I don't know, Jace. Quite a few shacks in here along the river. A lot of deer around. Some folks keep places for fishing and hunting. Well, his tracks lead right to it. Yeah. Get on, boy. Come on, Charky. Yeah, he stopped here all right. Oh, oh, oh. Flash your light on that door. Yeah. Yeah. Lock's been sprung. It's open. Yeah, he was here all right. Left his marks in the dust on the floor. I guess nobody's been using the place for quite a spell. Yeah. There's something else, too. Footlocker here. Lock on it's busted, too. Shirts and jeans in there. I'd like to bet there's one set missing. Orville or whoever it was stopped here to change clothes. He must have known the setup. There's a funny smell in here, Sheriff. Like the place been smoked up not long ago. Something burning. Pot-bellied stove there. Yeah. Anything in it? Plenty. Clothes that didn't quite burn. Smells from kerosene he poured on him. But he came through the river so his pants were wet. Fire must have smoldered out after he left. Better pull those things out and see if we can save enough of them for identification. It's enough, all right. Look at this. Blood stain didn't even wash off when he came through the water. We prove who owns these things, and we've got our man. We'll be able to prove it. Look. Shirt was bundled up with the wet pants. Just enough to save most of the collar and this. Mm-hmm. Laundry mark. Let's get back to town. <laughs> back to Cheney. We got what we were after on our third laundry stop. A half-burned shirt belonged to Orville James. We went to his home. His wife was at the funeral parlor with Mrs. Prager, so he was there alone. What you want from me now? Sheriff's got a few things rolled up in that poncho. I thought maybe you might be able to identify them. Who? Who they belong to? Joe or Newcomb? We want you to tell us. All right, Sheriff, unroll them. Recognize these? What's the matter, Orville? You look kind of sick. I'm just upset about Joe, that's all. I was at the funeral home with my sister almost all night. Well, you ever seen these things before? 
Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them. Whose are they? I could be wrong, I guess, but they look like new ones. That's funny. Well, what's funny about it? Looks like they were burned quite a bit. Yeah, but they were too wet to burn all the way. Guess that gives you a real tight case against Newcomb now, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? A perfect case, except for the laundry mark on the shirt. Laundry mark? That's right, Orville, your laundry mark. But there can't be a laundry mark. There can't be a laundry mark. Keep your hands off those things. You heard him, Orville. Let me go. Let me go. I... Oh, my arm. You better hold still. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> my wife. My wife always hounding me for money. Always screaming about how hard she worked. Always yelling about how she was ruining her hands scrubbing greasy work shirts. But she wasn't. She was sending them out. Laundry market. A lazy pig. I'll kill her. I'll kill her. You're not going to kill anybody, Orville. Your killing days are over. Open the door, will you, Sheriff? Sure. All right, Orville. In the car. Let's go. Orville James broke down at his trial and confessed the robbery slaying of his brother-in-law. He was found guilty in less than 20 minutes and sentenced to Huntsville for the rest of his natural life. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Frenchie. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Paul Freeze, Whitfield Connor, Sam Edwards, Harley Bear, and Barbara Luddy. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcutt, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keats. This is Hal Gibney speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Tomorrow, the voice of Firestone presents Metropolitan Opera Basso Cesare Siepi in a melodic variety of operatic selections. Your Monday evening of music also includes the telephone hour. And tomorrow's guest artist is the renowned coloratura soprano Lily Pons. Among Miss Pons' selections tomorrow is the beautiful aria from Rigoletto, Caranome. Bill Baker asks the $64 question next on NBC. Welcome back. So, listening to the scene, uh, you know, you, I really liked the victim, which right away let me know he was going to be the victim. I, I mean, that is really how Tales of the Texas Ranger rolls, which sets it apart from a lot of the more fictional mystery programs. You know, a show like Philo Vance or something like an Agatha Christie book, the murder victim is generally not a sympathetic person. Generally, you know, at best, neutral. 
for. And that, I think, is kind of for the purposes of those stories. You're not meant to take the murder to heart. I think that uh, Tales of the Texas Rangers uh, is going for drama. So generally, you know, they will show you why to like someone or to feel bad about what happened so that you're engaged with it as more of a real event. This is probably one of the weaker stories, in, in my opinion. It's not just that uh, they showed the murder in advance. I think that they've had episodes where they showed what happened, and there was a bit of suspense because the murderer was someone who was clever or they had to do some particularly unique detecting to figure out what happened. Uh, this guy was just not all that formidable. And his life, not very hard to unravel at all. His best defense was weak, you know, that uh, who essentially who heard of someone killing their brother-in-law. Having listened to a lot of Golden Age radio programs, I have to admit that I would not find that a convincing argument because brother-in-laws are not looked well upon. Now, I watched, you know, television growing up. Gathered from the culture, there's a lot of resentment against mother-in-laws for various reasons. But the one thing listening to Golden Age radio programs is the amount of brother-in-law jokes, brother-in-law characters who are just real heels. It seems during this era, the brother-in-law was the least popular relation, even more so than the mother-in-law. I mean, Dragnet-wise, if something happened to uh, Frank Smith's brother-in-law, I, I mean, I think Joe would have to at least take a look in that direction. At any rate, we turn now to listener comments and feedback. And uh, have this comment from George. And George uh, writes, Hi Adam, I just wanted to share two quick comments on recent episodes. First, in the latest installment of Tales of the Texas Rangers, you posed the question as to whether or not you bet was a common expression in the 1950s. I really don't know, but since this episode, like lots of other ones, was supposed to have taken place long before the 1950s, they may reflect uh, what was current uh, the, uh, in the way things were back in the day. The last story we are told in the intro took place uh, in the year 1937. I don't know how much the writers did to make the dialogue and facts meet the time of the events the story was based on or simply used 1950s writings, but it's just something to consider. Well, fair enough on that one, George. Of course, the question remains whether it was the 50s or the 30s, was that really so distinctive in Texas to serve as a basis for identification? He goes on, the second has to do with Johnny Dollar in a recent episode switching off the ignition in a Mercedes as it raced down the road, and what if any danger that really posed? Unless the driver was surprised and overreacted, there really wouldn't be a problem then or now. You can still steer and brake the car safely, even if you've lost power, any power assist a car might have. Shutting off the ignition is still the recommended procedure today in modern cars in case of uncontrolled acceleration or a stuck throttle. Well, thanks, George. You know, I, uh, I don't know if I would have trusted Mona, the lady driving the car, not to overreact the way that she was acting. Yes, safety would kind of depend on where she was uh, driving. I guess Johnny would have to weigh the risk of that versus the risk of being Mona drive like a maniac. It is an interesting uh, tidbit to know about how 
to handle that stock accelerator. Because I had one of those situations really scary. I'd just gotten it out of the shop, not for a problem with brakes or accelerator. And this was, like, I think three years back or something like that. And I started noticing that this was not exactly stopping. And it started going really uncontrolled. Uh, I turned on to a less busy side street, which still could have a lot of traffic, but thankfully did not, uh, at about 6 o'clock, which totally uh, thankful to the Lord for. I turned off onto a side street, and I don't think I pulled the key out of the uh, ignition. I ended up shifting it out of gear. I don't know if that was a preferred option. Mechanic, you know, repaired it for free without any comments as to the actions that I had taken. So I just assumed that I had done the correct thing. But after you've, you know, made a mistake on a car, it might not be the best time to say, you know, for next time, you really should uh, just have taken the key out of the ignition. But all of the damage that I caused in stopping the car and saving my life, they fixed for free. So it all worked out for the good. Thanks again for the comment, George. Now let's go ahead and I want to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Debbie, Patreon supporter since October 2015. Currently supporting the program at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for the support, Debbie. And that will actually do it for today. We will be back next Saturday with another episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers. And coming up on Monday, join us for the first proper episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade, where... You say he immigrated with you to this country. I take it that Gilmore wasn't his real name. Uh, no, no, he changed a few years ago, after he started going with her. Who's her? His secretary. The one that was on the way to meet him when he was killed? Yes. Uh-huh. Who gets the insurance? The secretary, Lena Best. He wanted to marry her. She she kept him dangling. He was getting tired of it. She knew that it could not go on. Who gets it. Gilmore's share of the St. Kitts Steamship Company? I do. Uh-huh. Anything else? Oh, one thing more, Mr. Spade. It might help you. Gilmore always carried a good luck piece in his wallet. A rare coin. It was the only thing the killer did not leave behind. Yes? Well, it, it has some sentimental value for me now. I presented him with the coin when we formed our partnership. Uh, look here, Mr. Spade. Uh, here. Here's a picture of it in this little book. Vanescu handed me a thin book printed on very glossy paper. The title was Coins of the Realms, Volume 11. It was open to the photo of a coin slightly larger than a silver dollar, but thicker. It was inscribed in Spanish and dated 1720. On its face was a picture of a sailing ship. Under the photo of the coin was written in ink for Emil, a picture of the tie that binds us, affectionately Bernard Gilmore. Well, what kind of money is it? Uh, collectors call it a Diana Sovereign. There is only one like it in this city. The one Bernard carried the night he was murdered. I see. That's a very attractive bracelet on your left leg. Oh, oh, <laughs> This? Yes, thank you. It was given me by Mr. Gilmore when I gave him the sovereign. Tell me, uh, Mr. Tonescu, do you want to find the gunsel who killed your partner, or do you want to find the Guiana sovereign? Mr. Spade, if you find one, you will find the other. <laughs>
I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.